Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that leads all NHL coverage with a ratio of 75 hot takes per 60 minutes. It's time to do a little podcasting, a little stargazing, and I have a special guest today, Mr. David Castillo. Hello, David. Hola. How's everyone doing? I don't know why I'm pretending to talk to an audience, but... <laughs> no, it helps. Because they're, they're out there. I mean, I know that I make my wife download the podcast. I definitely make the dog listen to it. So we've got an audience of two at least. At least. Well, hopefully we can add my wife to that. So <laughs> There we go. I guess, and Kate, credit to KT as well. She has to uh, at least halfway listen in order to, to trim out all the dead air and, and put this into something that's semi-listenable. So I guess a little bit of an audience. <laughs> But uh, thank you for joining. And just to set the stage a little bit, this is going to be slightly different. Normally, you know, and we'll we'll still have our regular show with Mark. Um, we'll record that a bit later this week. But this is this is going to be a little bit untethered to individual games or individual performances. It's been something, David, you and I have been talking about for a while. This idea, kind of the classic push and pull between the 200 hockey men and the math brigade. And, you know, I was saying in the build, one of the things that I appreciate the most about, you know, your work, both with DBD, with Dallas Magazine, all of the places that you are uh, writing is I, I feel like you do a really good job of incorporating analytics. And I know that's a dirty word to some, but incorporating analytics in your, you know, analysis of the Dallas Stars without the articles turning into, you know, spreadsheet readings, right? And, and there's still, you know, there's still a fan there. And, and we've talked before in, in various mediums about that. And, and so I wanted to spend some time today talking about how you view contemporary hockey fandom and incorporating the heart and the grit and the intangibles and the leadership and, and guys being due and, and all of the the things that we talk about from time to time with the other side of that, which is, you know, your courses and your Fenwicks and your, your, you know, your goal differentials and, and the stats that, that kind of you use the stats that you think matter and how that influences the game that you see, whether you're watching it on TV or in person. You know, I, it's, it's funny because I, I don't really, I've never, one of the reasons why I try to kind of write about hockey the way that I do and it's kind of quote unquote analytics foundation is that I don't really, I don't think of analytics as like, oh, here's a born histogram I have to look at, or here's a stupid line graph I have to try to interpret. I look at it, look at it as more of like language and history, things that I think clarify how we talk about hockey. You know, like you think about nowadays, like when we talk about forwards and we don't really talk about like good versus bad, although we can, um, or offensive versus defensive forward. No, now we talk about forwards in terms of their play driving ability, in terms of their rush attack, in terms of their, you know, forecheck and acumen and so forth. And so that's kind of how I approach analytics because I don't see it as just like a mathematical stew. I see it as this window into data that our brains don't normally process. Um, that's why, like, I think history is a good example. And that sort of sense of history is why um, I think the Wyatt Johnson piece I did, shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, plug away. Was, was a good example of, of what I'm talking about when I say clear language and set in expectations. Because it's easy to get quotes from a player and talk about him taking the next step as young players do. But isn't it more interesting to know where he fits into that historical record and, and thus kind of, you know, what we can expect from him given his performance. And, you know, sure enough, with the Johnson piece, 
it's exactly what I did. I chose a stat that I think gives us a clearer language to talk about shift to shift offense. In this case, goals above replacement, which you could say whatever you want. But, you know, again, I just working with a base and then compared it to the other 19 year olds with similar scores and then looked at the average jump in points the following season. And sure enough, there's only a handful of names that belong to that list, including Clayton Keller, John Tavares, Jeff Skinner, Brady Kachuk. I mean, like great stuff, right? I was going to so, say, I've heard of most of those guys. They're quite good. That's <laughs> that's a good list to be on if you're Wyatt Johnston, I would say. Yeah, it, it, so that, that to me is, is so much more interesting. And I think kind of the way that I think of analytics, because I'm just like you. I, I don't care about, I don't, I'm not interested in like statistics. And I'm interested in hockey. However, I think as a writer, it is absolutely your duty to kind of to try to understand and to do the homework. Because, again, I don't think they're as, quote, unquote, complex or or as convoluted or beyond just the layman's understanding as people tend to treat them. I think part of that's like hockey itself. Hockey does a horrible job of introducing (laughs) its fans to the game itself. Hockey hockey gatekeeps? No. It's it's an open and accommodating fan base. I mean, so so yeah, like it's, you know, of course, if if hockey doesn't know how to sort of market its own game, then naturally it's not going to know how to market its own information, its understanding of that information. And I'm going to skip the part where I just like criticize – and, and use vulgarities aimed at a lot of the talking heads that have like historically littered <laughs> the hockey landscape. But you know where I'm going. And it's funny to me, just again, I'm I'm I would say that I'm definitely much more of a layman than you are, but it's funny to me that despite all of the outward complexity talking about kind of gatekeeping, so much of hockey statistics still just boils down to fancy ways to say the team that shoots the puck more is probably better. And and there's there are obvious that's that's a dramatic oversimplification, but it you know you can look at like where the shots and who shoots and how often they shoot and all that, but so much of it ultimately boils down to that that it's it just it's it's heartening to see inroads starting to be made, especially you know with with the MLB playoffs going on. I don't know that you want to go all the way to that extreme. I don't think you can. Hockey's a little bit more random, but it's it's nice to see that there's some at least some external effort to understand what's happening beyond just oh that guy's fast he must be hustling right or that guy hit somebody he must be having a good shift yeah and and it's um you know i think the other thing important to kind of like uh, sort of respect is that you know, kind of bouncing back off this sort of hockey doing a poor job of just doing its job <laughs> is I think also kind of the way we think of analytics as I think synonymous with value, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's not. And granted, like, I don't know too much about baseball. I just know like a lot of baseball stats have been lifted uh, or hockey's lifted a lot of baseball stats to kind of like apply to hockey. And and yes, for a lot of people, you know, that's always the refrain, right? Which is, well, you know, hockey's not like baseball. Of course it's not. But that doesn't mean you still can't try to kind of... They, they both uh, have sticks, David. I don't know if, <laughs> if your you modeling takes this into account. But I mean, there, there are like tons of different data sets, though, right? They all do different things. You know, there are analytics for a player's shot attempts, which is boring, but we know as Corsi and Fenwick and expected goals. Uh, the expected goal models themselves, like, you know, take into a lot of different things into account. But 
There are also stats for shot call generated from shift to shift. We have performance metrics, such as how effectively a defenseman retrieves a puck in his own zone, thanks to the awesome and wonderful Corey Snyder. And we have context metrics for how well a player performs versus different levels of competition. And yes, that includes coaching, thanks to Micah McCurdy. And yeah, sure, there are bottom line stats like wins above replacement, et cetera. But like each is a tool. And depending on the job, you pick the tools for the job. And I, I love that we're finally getting into the context stuff, right? Because I remember when it was just Corsi and Fenwick, and then you had Fenwick close, and you started looking at the shot ratios when it was a one-goal lead or a two-goal lead, or you were trailing and you're up. And finally getting into it. So it's it's been, you've, you've definitely, even just in the time I've been with DVD, I, I've seen that evolve. So it's been, um, it's it's sometimes tough to keep up on and it sometimes looks a lot more complicated than it is, I think. But just just from your perspective, let's let's start here and and just, you know, let's let's say, so what would you say, what what stats might you highlight? If, if you're speaking to somebody that's, that just say, let's that's new to this whole thing, right? Someone that doesn't have a history with analytics, hasn't traditionally been interested, but, you know, the numbers keep popping up in places and it's getting harder to ignore. If, if I'm if I'm a newcomer, what are the what are the stats that I should be aware of? Just baseline, foundational, right out of the gate. You know, it, so I mean, if I can do the sort of kind of diplomatic thing, it depends. Right. So, I mean, if you want to know, for example, um, let's say like I'm more interested in the team success and how well teams perform, then, yeah, I think the more base, quote unquote, basic fancy stats like uh, shot attempts. Uh, which is still like quite valuable. In fact, there there was somebody did some uh, like research um, a couple of years ago. Uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name that kind of found like that sort of um, shot attempts at the team level were still really, really predictive for future success. Um, and in some cases better than certain expected goal models. Now, whether or not that's true, it doesn't really matter. But the point is that if you're wanting to understand things at the team level, I think, yeah, things like shot attempts, because it's a really broad stat and it gives you a nice approximation for possession at the team level. Whereas when it comes to the player level, well, that's different. You know, it depends. I think if you're looking at like, oh, I want to know. Um, if a top six forward is going to be really productive in my fantasy league, then I think you want to look at their shift to shift impact, you know, where like, OK, well, what kind of offense does this person create and should I expect them to do uh, better than average? In which case, yeah, I think you want to look at um, their sort of goals above replacement stuff. And if you're talking about defensemen, then we just fall down this rabbit hole that that is absolutely just I mean, I don't even know what to say, except to say that, like, you save that for your doctorate. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I think the thing is, like, that's why I like separating kind of think of stats in different categories, your impact stats versus your performance stats. And I think with defensemen, I think performance is most critical because, well, you know, production like is not the name of the game when it comes to defensemen. And so and that that hits with Stars fans, because I know he he had a kind of performance eruption last season. But, you know, the test case here has been Miro Haskinen, who went through a period of time in Dallas where he was in the 30, you know, 30 to 40 point range. And we were banging on drums and trying to get uh, attention on him as one of the best players in his position in the league, comparing him to, you know, the Kale McCars of the world, despite a much less robust offensive output. Well, I mean, so are we referring back to the Seattle series we had to be sort of uh we had to resurrect the corpse of this like analytics versus eye test nonsense that's right when he had the bad shit <laughs> yes with the hole in his face right 
Exactly. Exactly. You know, let me just say something because, like, this is, like this bothers me to no end, uh, which is when people kind of talk about sort of analytics versus eye tests. Like to me, like the way I think you want to think about that is like test grades in school. Like, let's say you get a bad grade on your biology test and you miss questions like. What's the difference between a prokaryote and a eukaryote? Get a bad grade on the test reflects your performance for the day, but it's not an assessment of your understanding. It could be, for example, maybe you truly don't know the difference between membrane-based cells and non-membrane-based cells. And yes, I totally use Wikipedia for that because I totally forgot. But I mean, <laughs> understanding biology is a continuous process in school and it's constantly evolving, kind of just like hockey. Maybe your performance changes, but not your understanding. Maybe your understanding changes, but your performance fluctuates. To me, I just think it's kind of the you know same thing in hockey, where a bad game doesn't mean a bad player. And also, I think more to the point, sometimes like stats can also cause you to sort of take a second look and say, wait a minute, yeah, I know Heiskin's great, but did he have a good game or did he have a really bad game? Yeah, it's the what what am I missing moment, right? Yeah, I mean, it's you can't possibly process every single event and shift that happens in a single game. And that's why I think analytics are very instructive, because it allows you to take a step back and kind of see sort of the big picture at a glance, as opposed to kind of remembering like the big turnover and whatnot. And sure, sometimes that big turnover can be absolutely instructive of the quality of the player. Cough, Ryan Sutter. But again, like for the most part, like I think... It's a matter of people just kind of separating those sort of moments we remember versus the patterns that are actually, you know, happening and sort of evolving through like over time. It's 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 that I love that you frame it in terms of a test, right? Because it's that everybody makes mistakes. Everybody causes harm while they're out there, right? Misses an assignment you know, biffs a shot, misses the trailer. So there's there's a nu- numerous mistakes. So yeah, and those those moments tend to stand out in our minds, right? Because they're visceral and we those are the things that we either, you know, we pump our fist. The the Alex Chase on his his season with the stars when I think he was scoring at like a 40% clip. I forget what the exact percentage was, but when he he, you know, we're looking at him thinking, ah, oh, he's you know future Hall of Famer. And it's it's easier to remember those types of moments it's much harder to step back and think to yourself, well, generally speaking, we see shooting percentages in the nine to 14% range and they don't tend to fluctuate year over year and players don't tend to have a great deal of influence over them. So if somebody is way over that mark, you're probably destined to crash, right? So I, I think, yeah, it's it's an interesting tug between what we see while we're watching the game, the things that leap out to us, a, a Miro Haskin mistake, then comparing it to a volume of data that tells us, did we just watch something that is rare or did we just watch something that is kind of a standard part of this player's game? Yeah, that's the irony to this sort of (laughs) the stats don't teach you about the game and and throw your stats out the window kind of uh, philosophy of Steve Simmons types, uh, which is that, well, you know what? Neither is watching hockey. Watching hockey does not teach you about the game. And what I mean is that a lot of people watch to just have a beer enjoy a fast paced game and hope their team wins. And besides that, I wish I could like enjoy the game like that, but they don't give a crap about XG or SG or algebra per 60 or whatever. 
And that's totally fine. I wish I could experience the game like that. But I'm a firm believer in, and this is kind of like a side note, firm believer in having philosophy taught from grade school onward. And I think there's a kind of a philosophical foundation embedded in this debate that doesn't exist and needs to. And that's the epistemology basic, which is that there's a difference between knowledge that and knowledge how. Your knowledge that hockey is game played on ice with a puck and a stick is not synonymous with your knowledge of how it all works. I like I like knowledge that versus knowledge how. I, I think that's fantastic. Um, so how do you reconcile that? You you know if you don't you just said you don't you know necessarily watch with that that total detached you know beer in hand. But how how do you what what does a what does a hockey experience look like for you? I mean. <laughs> You know, like that's kind of the thing, which is that you're sort of we have our biases and it can be very hard to kind of recognize those limits. So I I don't like my sort of, for example, when I watch a game, let's take, for example, Julius Honka. Let's resurrect those Julius. Oh, the Honka Wars. (laughs) I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) You know, when I was watching Honka, like I, I watched with the bias that, hey, this player is really talented. So it must just simply take maybe a different system, different coach, maybe a different line mate to make it all click. And so that was kind of my bias. And so when I looked at some of the analytics and they reflected what I already believed, I, I just I couldn't imagine why, like, you know, this team wouldn't give themselves a chance. And so when I think about sort of what it kind of takes to be you know, kind of quote unquote informed or to kind of watch, you know, with with kind of a, a more discerning eye, you know, I think about sort of checking your biases and trying to kind of not like leave them at the door, but just like recognizing that they're there and then, you know, sort of trying to kind of overcome and recognize their limits. Like, are you are you what was I watching Honka um, objectively because <laughs> objectively noticing every single mistake or success and wanted to believe that each success was a reflection of what I already believed to be true, which is this this kid is awesome. He should be playing like, you know, on the second pair. Or was it just what I wanted to believe? And was it just simply something that, you know, I kind of uh, sort of manufactured given my biases? Well, it's, it's funny that you say that because I have, you know, Honka was one of them. But there's three other names that in recent seasons have been a major part of the Stars discourse in this way. And it's, you know, Julius Honka. Uh, I think we've done the same thing with Thomas Harley, right? We've talked about limited sample size. He had that 30-game cameo time in the AHL, uh, you know, last season coming on for the playoffs, right? So we've we've been there with Harley as well. Uh, We've been there, frankly, I remember talking about Val Nachushkin. And thinking, oh, he can't possibly stay in this slump forever. He's gonna, he's gonna pop out of it. The team will be crazy to give up on him. And I remember saying the exact same thing about Denis Gurionov, and that hey, the best thing in the world that the team could do is just staple this guy to the second line, tell him no matter what, you're not leaving, and let him work his way through it. So it's, it's funny to me how you can get that again. That that notion of biases, right? We watch the player. Thinking and I think in a certain way, you know, Nils Lundqvist might be the next guy we do that with, right? Because we have expectations of him as fans, and we want, you know, the way that our minds work, right? We want to see what we expect. We want to highlight if, if there's a good play, right? Same thing with with you know, on the other end of the spectrum, Ryan Suter, right? I think that's there's a pretty strong narrative around his play and his role in the team amongst Stars fans, and I think if you if you 
you know, really step back and see there's that's going to influence what you notice about his game when you're watching an individual game versus what you might see in when you step back and look at the numbers. Yeah, I mean, I I was going to add to that, but I actually have nothing to add to that. Look, I, that's <laughs> that is. And I'm glad you did because that's how talking about how watch game you know watching games I I tend to come into a game and again I'm not super analytics guy but I tend to come into a game with one or two guys on my mind right I'm I'm looking for like so far so for example in the early season I've been you know so, some of the trains I've been on are I think Miro is poised for a Norris and I think that we need to find out if Thomas Harley is a you know top four defenseman in the NHL so I I tend to go into games with a couple of things like you said I can't I can't track everything you know you don't get data in real time I'm I'm frequently watching either you know the next morning because everybody's at work and I can't watch in the afternoon in the evenings with the kids or I'm watching with my children complaining about you know turning off uh bluey and watching stars instead <laughs> you know so so because of that like in addition to just hey hockey I'll come in thinking I, I want to see you know I've read all this stuff about Jason Robertson's edge work so I want to see how he's skating tonight or I've I I think that Miro is going to be competing for the north so i really want to watch his shifts tonight i i come in with a couple of things like that that as the season goes on i will try and use statistics to influence right if i see somebody that is a particular drag or a particular accelerator of you know high danger chances right i may i might try and figure out if i can see in in a shift to shift way what the numbers are telling me is actually happening and the funny thing is that I don't feel like, so I, I've been doing a lot of video analysis at the star stack. And the only reason why I've been doing it is because I just get sick of posting charts and have to explain some of the numbers. So the irony is that I don't think video analysis is a better form of information gathering. Like, yes, it can be instructive, but it's, it's a totally different type of information. It's sort of it's immediate information and it's information of the moment. Whereas like you think of analytics as kind of more of a, you know, sort of broad patterns and things like that. And, and so I just, for me, if I want to watch a game and try to learn something, it's going to start. Yes. Like you said, it's going to start with something that I'm already looking for to me. Like the trick is to kind of go back and see if you were sort of right or potentially wrong about that player. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest one of the biggest challenges is of of analytics you know there's the what is it there's there's lies statistics and damn lies right so it's it's the biggest challenge is you can probably be selective with your numbers and find you know one or two tidbits that support whatever opinion you have right there were you know at the heart of the honka wars right there were statistics that would tell you that he was a fantastic nhl ready defenseman and there were others that tell you would tell you he wasn't right there's so it's it's having to be cognizant of that and having an open mind about yes you come in with with a certain thing to prove or disprove you come in with a hypothesis i think that this you know i i think that mason marchment should rebound a little bit from last season and that's a perfectly good starting place but it's having the kind of intellectual curiosity as the games happen and as things occur, not to get stuck highlighting the good at the expense of the bad because my original opinion was he was going to be better, right? And and that's that's frankly something I struggle with. I tend to find narratives that fit what I'm, you know, what I think that I'm seeing versus sometimes letting me letting my brain ingest all the data and then forming an opinion about it. And that, that's sort of like you know, Mason Marshman is a really good example of a player that I think sort of really highlights how important it is to kind of look 
at different things, different types of metrics. Because sure, if you look at his production numbers, um, that's not going to like tell you anything. It's just going to tell you, hey, you know, well, well, he had kind of a bad year. And especially a guy with such a short career so far. Exactly. Right. Um, where, yeah, you're working with limited information and, and, you know, depending on kind of what you think about him, um, you know, I don't think the information, it, like the analytics and the video are not going to tell you a whole lot. And I think at that point, it's just a kind of a matter of respect in that, well, hey, data, just like the players, changes. So, you know, just respect the fact that, you know, you don't have to come to a conclusion just because you have data available on a certain player. Yeah, and the video thing is interesting. It reminds me of um, reminds me of Roman Polak and, you know, his shootout attempt and, and, and just the idea that a, a video can tell you it tells you what happened, right? A video will tell you that a, a, a play worked, something good happened. You can you can break down, you know, where the passing lane was, how the puck got to the shooter, how the shooter converted. It'll, it'll tell you what happened. What a video, what video analysis won't really do is tell you whether or not what happened was an outlier, right? How frequently does it happen? Does this represent something that this player is doing constantly, or is this something that you know? Th- these are all the the quote unquote worst player in the NHL is a world class athlete with a lifetime of experience playing the game at an extremely high level, right? So I guarantee you, you can find a highlight for pretty much anybody in the league. That, you know, looking at a video could tell you, wow, this this guy is is, you know, put him on the first line, put him on power play number one and, and watch him cook. Right. It's I think the role that analytics comes in. It's that you mentioned context at the very start of the conversation. Analytics comes in and says, whoa, 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 this play was fantastic, but it's also a unicorn. Right. And don't don't get too caught up on finding the next highlight or it will tell you that not only is this play fantastic, this guy is doing it all the time and he's doing all this other subtle stuff, too. And, you know, buckle up and we will we'll get into speaking of that. I think this is a good segue. We'll get into some specific players, some specific observations. I want to get your thoughts, but we're going to take a very quick break to make sure that KT can keep paying our bills here at DBD Studios. So just one second. All right, back at it. So we've spent some time talking generally about you know stats that we're interested in. Um, I do want to segue into getting to some player-specific stuff. But before I do, just because I, I want to be goofy, I, I do want to ask David, what what is your you know I asked earlier about the statistics you would use to sort of introduce somebody to this conversation where they might start. What is your favorite? Like what is your you know indie band? b-side deep cut like what is your favorite statistic that may not be part of the you know part of the common discourse part of the stuff that comes up all the time what's what's one of your favorite kind of obscure stats oh man i i what i think is a per well i guess if you've been like reading some of my stuff well actually what am i talking about my favorite stat is something that doesn't quite exist if, if that kind of makes any sense but it is uh michael blake mccurdy's uh territory gain stat so it doesn't really have a name. Uh, he just did a presentation. And the whole idea behind this stat was essentially what players are given um, given their coaches the minutes they want to other players. I know that I probably totally screwed that up because <laughs> even I myself kind of don't understand it. But the whole idea is like essentially what players gain territory for their team 
And is there a way to essentially kind of measure whether or not that territory gain leads to, for example, increased impact on shot attempts, mm-hmm. expected goals, et cetera? Um, it's in- that reminds me there's a stat in soccer breaks where it's the idea, it's a it's a passing statistic, and the idea behind it is, you know, soccer is lines, right? You've got your your forwards, and you've got your midfield, you've got your defense, and the idea of a break is how often they they do a bunch of stats about pass completion percentage, and, and how often do you pass to your own team, turnovers, the like, but how often do your passes progress through one of the other team's defensive lines? And then the territory, the way that you're describing it, makes me think a little bit about trying to quantify that, and, and try, it's trying to add meat to possession stats, right? And and yes, it's good to have the puck, but how often does having the puck translate into doing something useful with the puck? Which which is a kind of like funny sort of an amusing um, kind of a corollary to the whole face-off discussion, right? And kind of, you know, what exactly, right? It's, it's not so much about face-offs wins versus losses. It's really about what's the value to a face-off sequence. And that's what I think is so interesting about this concept of kind of territory gained and also because it sort of <laughs> it conveniently uh, just blows down the doors of the common like I don't know what to, like canard refrain trope whatever of oh well so and so like gets really tough defensive zones yep no like what was it like 67 65 something like 60 plus percent of every player's shifts is on the fly the defensive zone stuff is simply dictated by when the coach has the ability to control whether or not that player starts in the defensive zone, well then yes, that's when they start in the defensive zone. And there's a very small percentage of that. That was one of the things that I kind of pointed out with the whole, uh, when I, I wrote about Esselindel and Yanni Hockenpah, D Magazine, which is that, <laughs> yes, they started in the defensive zone a lot when DeBoer wanted to start them in the defensive zone, but they had way more on-the-fly shifts, something like 60 to 69%, compared to every other second-pair defender. So, yeah, sure, you can say, well, they had it really tough. They didn't have it any tougher than any of the other second-pair in the National Hockey League. That's not how this works. They all have a tough job to do if they're on the second-pair because top four minutes are difficult, and they struggled because they weren't good enough together. That's that's as simple as that. Yeah, that's and it, it's yeah. Faceoffs have always been interesting as well. I remember even even as far back as there. This was when I was a, a, a wee lad, but I remember an article I think on the old ESPN magazine talking about um, you know how they count faceoff wins and a couple of players at the time, Mike Bonanno was one of them. I think they talked to Joe Newendike, but talking about how. Players are like, well, yeah, face-off winning percentage isn't necessarily accurate because sometimes we lose them on purpose was a refrain from some. And it wasn't just Stars players, but if some, one of the refrains was like, well, sometimes if we're in the defensive zone or, if, you know, one of those the neutral zone or sometimes I win the puck forward, right? And, and that's the – so it just gets into that. I, I think it's an interesting example. Even with some of the really basic, like, high-level stats, it's not always as simple as, well, this this is this is a, a win is clearly good and it's definitive, Right. And it's getting into, well, they don't all you you have to take data. And again, you you can't it doesn't replace the eye test. It doesn't replace what's happening on the ice. You can't you can't just look at a spreadsheet and understand what happened. OK, but can I just say, like, can we can we stop? And this is not directly U.S., although it can be. And if Please, it is, let's, I yeah, let's get angry. You know, what? can we just stop using this phrase? eye test like can you imagine <laughs> asking a botanist, hey, do you truly love plants because you spend so much time in the lab? You can't understand bi- uh, botany under a microscope. 
nerd? You know, nerd. should Batman stop fighting crime because he had to gather evidence before getting into a street fight? Like <laughs> the entire premise, uh, this this eye test versus analytics is absolute ex, expletive deleted, expletive deleted, expletive ex, you know, just just nonsense. So when I think about the eye test, I just think, listen, what what is wrong with the brain test? Is that not like what we've done? in any field of study when it comes to trying to learn more, we just, we use our brains. Yeah, no, I think that's a good, I, I, and I can, I will defend, I, I will defend it a little bit because we still no, cling don't, to these, don't. I'm just, we cling to notions of, well, let me ask you, let me, let me ask you this. Do you think clutch is a thing? Uh, you know, I, I would say that, uh, yes, I think clutch is a thing. However, like it, you know, it's sort of these to me are like latent variables, which I think are very relevant. Um, but, but I don't think it, to me like clutch, especially in the context of a sport like hockey, where so much is built on this kind of combination of sort of systems and player performance, that I think you have a hard enough time measuring just how much value a single player has in the context of an entire game that sort of then trying to quantify, you know, this l other little element of clutch is, is kind of a bit much. Granted, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sure, like, you just kind of wanted a basic answer. No, I, I don't. Basic basic, question. Listen, if, if I wanted basic, I wouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> you, can, you can get basic. Just turn on TNT's broadcast. It's fine. But uh, this, the, we're doing this specifically. This stuff fascinates me because I think that, you know, in, in the phrase I test, I think is really interesting because I can see – to me, when I hear the phrase eye test, that to me is the impulse of, but wait, I've seen Luke Glendinning score a goal. <laughs> you know, like I've seen players that are, that should not profile as offensive threats do things that are are phenomenal, right? I've seen I've seen Jason Robertson kill a penalty. I've seen, you know, it it goes all over this. So I think the eye test is, I think you're right in that I don't think it's a, it can it can often be used in a pejorative way and it's 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 a way to be dismissive of you know instead of instead of trying to understand the data and instead of having a real conversation with you about the player's performance i hand wave it by saying eh i see what i see this guy's good the team needs him and it's 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 a way to bail out of what would otherwise be a tough conversation so i, I think you're right in that the word, as you're describing it, the word is a pro. It's a. It's indicative of like a problematic attitude towards analytical thinking in the NHL. And all too often, the eye test is the cudgel that we use to just ignore the fact that somebody is not actually good, and we just want him to be because he's a, a storied veteran or because he's the coach's favorite or something like that. I will say though that the concept behind it. I, I totally understand, right? Because the concept behind it is we will, over the course of watching an individual game, we will see things that do not line up with that player's analytical profile. And that's okay too. And figuring out how all of that comes together is important. Can I just be pedantic for a Please. second? Like extremely. That's the best. So the best. is that to say that. Pedantics a, and being technically correct are some of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> is that to say that a blind person cannot understand hockey? <laughs> we uh, we at, at the stargazing podcast are inclusive of all fans i think that i would say that a blind person probably understands hockey differently in the same way that somebody that has never played it probably understands it differently i probably have a much different understanding of offensive line play 
having never ever been on an offensive line in my entire life than somebody that you know grew up playing football. But <laughs> by the way, okay, so now you're really starting to frustrate me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> by the way, the uh, which wall? What was it? I, there was um uh, sci- like a science scientific study done on grandmasters playing blindfold chess, and um, and I thought it was interesting that their frequency of mistakes went unchanged between playing blind uh, versus you know, playing, you know, just kind of full view, eyes open, eye test open, you know, so to speak. But, you know, like to me, like the main thing is I, I go back to, again, this concept of language and using clearer language to kind of talk about the game, and especially when it comes to analysis. So, yes, as much as I make fun of the eye test, it's really just kind of a, a sort of a, a problem, my issue with the right versus wrong language. In terms of what's trying to be said, I understand, which is intuition. Um, I remember when they were, uh, which that, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, into it's it's to me when you use it correctly, it's I I do think that there is there is an intuitive element to this. It, you can't. It, it's why you get Jamie Ben in the fifth round instead of being a you know first overall pick in his draft year, right? There there is an element of this that escapes just simple. I'm going to show you a bunch of numbers and you're going to know exactly what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it, it, which is like kind of sounds condescending, but you know, I, <laughs> but. That's kind of to your point, you know, which is I think the reason why people kind of or maybe like, well, especially like the sort of talking heads from whatever sports network that, you know, broadcasts hockey. I think the reason why they don't want to use a word like intuition or kind of talk about it that way is then all of a sudden you would have you would put your sort of your kind of gut reaction and sort of gut analysis, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of times that can be cues to exploring something further in the same context as stuff like analytics, which again is just the same kind of stew, you know, when it comes to analysis and we want to understand, understand something on a deeper level, well, there's just going to be different layers that we're going to explore and we're going to try to explore every different avenue um, to understand that better as opposed to choosing one because, Hey, I know hockey. I've been watching it since Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em videos, which I, by the way, have, and I still consider it absolutely useless in the context <laughs> of trying to, I think especially because the game has changed so much, and we don't talk about this enough, which is that I think one of the reasons why analytics are so valuable is that you have a very different game than we have than we had 10 years ago. And so a lot of this information allows us to kind of really unpack things that are happening Sometimes too fast. You look at like the decrease in like shot attempts or the way power play formations change, the way teams attack the, the bumper, them. right? Yes, yes, the bumper. And and so I think a lot of this stuff allows us to kind of track how the game itself is changing. Um, and we see that in play out in how the roster itself changes, where you have defensemen that can move the puck. Um, you don't you no longer have well, except for Toronto, you no longer have goons on the fourth line. And and that is that that's a real that's a tangible impact on how the game is played, despite the fact that a lot of this information was gathered on spreadsheets, bro. You know, it. I just don't <laughs> I, I don't understand why we're all not just part of the same kind of stew when it comes to analysis. I, and I think it's we again, it's the tribalism, right? We, we get into I want to be right. We, we are more interested sometimes in flogging the people that we disagree with 
you know, I, I'm much more interested in taking a highlight of a guy that you tell me isn't very good, uh, of taking a highlight of him scoring a goal and, and the the oh yeah, what the the Miro Haskinen, right? He had a bad shift in the playoffs. And instead of prompting a bad game in the playoffs with a hole in his face, right? And instead of prompting a reasonable conversation about past performance and historic you know, his history and it blah blah blah. It immediately turned into a well. He's clearly not as good as you know the Macar and the cohort. You know, you know what I mean. We got angry instead of instead of turning it into a discussion. And I think it's our fault, right? Because it's what? it's easier and it's more fun to just say, oh yeah, look at this guy, he stinks, right? Or it's easier or to to show you his career stats and say, eh, regression. Don't worry. About it. Don't don't even pay attention to what he's doing right now. He's shooting. He's shooting twenty five percent. It's coming down. Just don't. This doesn't even count, right? These goals don't even count. Ignore them. Well, I would, but see, I would say that it's not just it's not just our fault. It is hockey's fault. It's hockey's fault. For well, I was sure. considering us as part of hockey. We well, we are on the inside. I mean, I hate the sport myself, but <laughs> this no, listen, nothing says true hockey fan more than than hating yourself and hating the sport that you love. So you're just making my point. <laughs> I mean. And that's kind of like the thing that I think uh, makes quote unquote analytics, which really just need to use a different term, by the way. It, to me, it's just information. It's but branding, yeah. Why that sort of just term needs to be sort of changed and, and to the extent that we'll just, you know, run with it, uh, why I think it's also so important, um, which is that I think everything that we do, everything that people read and ingest when it comes to hockey is all about performance and assessing performance. And so there's no like cleaner and more transparent way to understand and assess performance than being able to look at like just cold hard data. That doesn't mean turn in every like uh, turn in every uh, you know hockey piece or think piece into here's a bunch of spreadsheets and here's a bunch of graphs. No, but it just means like being informed and not like still hearing people and the year 2023 talk about plus minus. <laughs> yeah, we do still talk about that, don't we? So you're 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 anti plus minus, if I'm understanding that correctly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just <laughs> you know, there, there's something intuitive about it, um, and I think it's you know. Yeah, what, you're on I the think... ice when you get you're on the ice when you score. <laughs> therefore, you must be good. You're on the ice when you get scored against. Therefore, you must be bad, right? <laughs> well, there you go, right? There's also something intuitive about why it's so wrong. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's something like it taps, or what I should say is it taps into people's intuition about like performance and, you know, good versus bad performances, uh, which is that, well, you know, you're on the ice for more goals against or less than that speaks to your quality. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's again, do we want to have a clear language to talk about performance? Or do we want to just like, well, you know, she was a plus two, pretty solid. He was a minus five, pretty bad. Uh, I, we don't learn anything from that. It's true. We, it, it, you got to get into the why and then how, how often is that an outlier? I, I guarantee you, you could, you know, there's, there were games where Wayne Gretzky never sc- didn't score a single point, right? There's, there's, there's stuff that happens. So let me, let me pivot a little bit. I want to close things out talking about you know, getting into, we mentioned some specific players. So thinking about, you know, it can be on the stars roster. It can be, you know, more broadly in the league. Has there ever been a situation where you were surprised, right? Where, where you could, have you ever had trouble reconciling what the numbers were telling you about a player and what you were seeing with that same player? Absolutely. 
And I did not think I'd have to talk about this guy, but I guess we will. Um, Essa Lindell. What? Essa Lindell <laughs> is a perfect example of a player that, for one, like for many years, um, and, and it's possible that things are going to change, right? But for many years, he was given credit for being this defensive stalwart. And I always just saw it as like symmetry. Like, well, you got a defensive guy next to an offensive guy, John Klingberg. That to me is not chemistry. That's symmetry. It's symmetry. Stop. But because they were joined at the hip, it was also sort of like, you know, kind of hard to separate, you know, what Lindell was responsible for, what Klingberg was responsible for. And so I just I was never impressed. I mean, like if you were just to look at again, here we go. Intuition. Right. I'm not going to use the word eye test. <laughs> um, if you were just to like look at Lindell's game and just kind of judge him from the perspective of, say, like a scout, you'd be like, well, uh, he can't pass. In fact, it's actually quite terrible. He can't puck handle. Uh, he can't skate. Um, seems pretty smart, though. Seems like, you know, plays a good gap, plays uh, stout defense, big guy, doesn't seem to get beat too often one-on-one. But, uh, but yeah, is this dude a, a top-pairing defenseman? Eh, probably not. Um, but he was treated that way, and he's played, he's paid like a top-pairing de- defenseman. And so when I look at his game, I'm like, this guy, I mean, he knows – how to play hockey, and he knows how to play it well defensively. But my God, he he's just so bad at so many other things. Like, there's no way his bottom line is going to be a positive, right? Wrong. Like, if you look at a lot of his fancy stats, whether you're looking at regularized, adjusted plus minus, or goals above replacement, uh, wins above replacement, he grades out very elite defensively. And I cannot explain that. I think it's going to change because Klingberg, but again, that's just like me just throwing like a, just shots in the air. That's not me like looking at the data or trying to be objective. It's just, I, I can't imagine this dude's actually good in terms of bottom line value, but clearly like, again, that's my intuition, but clearly the data is largely in line with what I think most people see. I, I mean, I like, I've always considered myself on an Island, of course, until this season, where it's looking like he's being outplayed by Niels Lundqvist. That, to me, is a different discussion, right? We talk about Esselindel, and, you know, we criticize, well, you know, he just provides, like, a different element. Like, I'm like, he looks like the weaker player. That's different than, like, oh, this guy's just good defensively, and he doesn't do what Lundqvist does. Yeah, he's. He, I think you're right. He's. He is, we, we've joked, like, there's, going back into the Alex Goligoski area, it seems like there's always, Dallas always has a defenseman, that is a a sort like there's always that guy right Trevor Daly Alex Goligowski Jordy Ben yeah Jordy Ben it was um oh gosh he got traded to Toronto why am I an LTIR why am I blanking I oh, Stefan Robida sorry what what am I how am I not remembering but there's always that guy it's been Ryan Suter for a while but I think we may have reached a consensus on Ryan Suter so it it might have to be it might have to be Essa because there's not really a discussion around Suter anymore yeah I think he's you're right, because he was my – if you hadn't had that one handy, I was going to bring him up because he's that example as well. Like you really can find people and not just you know non-thinking hockey people, but you can find learned students of the game that can show you analytics that say for portions of his career he actually was exactly what his boosters were saying. And now you can see that maybe he's not, but it, he's an interesting guy because you're right. He does some really obvious tangible things poorly, but – some some of the underlyings, right? The the numbers insist that you're seeing something different, right? And I think that kind of also sort of emphasizes like, well, what is it that we're looking at? What is it that, you know, analysts can kind of help us understand? 
when it comes to a player like Lindell. And I think there's sort of like that kind of uh, corollary in physics, right? Like sort of man- matter versus antimatter. What things are valuable for defensemen and what they do well defensively that simply aren't captured by whether or not they're on the ice for more shot attempts versus less? I mean, it's the mirror thing, right? When he was scoring 35 points, was he better, worse, or the same when he was scoring 35 points a season and not playing on the power play versus when he was scoring, you know, 79 points and playing on the power play, right? Like his it's it's one of those outcomes where his his production was better. Was his performance better, right? Was it just that he had an opportunity or whether he had, um, yeah, that exactly. And I think we can safely say that, yes, it had everything to do with like him being on the first power play unit, uh, which granted, I don't think he like scored like a ton of power play points. But, you know, I think we can tell just by like watching Heisman that like the bulk of his game is what he does from shift to shift in all three zones. Like, you know, even watching him, you know, even though I think we're kind of seeing like a few added wrinkles to his game offensively. I don't care if he never develops like that sort of Kale McCarr shot. I mean, like if he ever did develop that stuff, well, then he wouldn't be who he is defensively. And and I always kind just, of found just it, because the baseball players, the the old Ichiro quote, right? I could hit forty home runs if you let me hit two hundred. Exactly. And as and, as we watch Kyle Schwarber hit forty eight home runs with a one ninety seven batting average, which still I swear I understand numbers, but it still breaks my flipping brain. Yeah, and and I I. I feel like there's it's kind of one of those things that I, I think fans should kind of just kind of come to grips with the fact that, hey, Heisken is just one of the game's best three-zone defenders, um, plays a shutdown game despite having the talents of a an elite puck mover. And if that never leads to a 100-point season or 90 or even an 80-point season, who cares? Part of what makes him special is that he's not the sort of selfish with the puck. Part of what makes him special is that he's not – uh, this guy that's going to like take these sort of risks and chances in the offensive zone. No, like his value is in the fact that if he does take a chance, he's going to be right back on the blue line, ready to defend the rush if they lose possession. And his focus is solely defense. And that just, that, I think that's kind of what makes him stand out. And <laughs> which is, which is why the Norris discussion doesn't interest me. Yeah, and the, the Norris is a fraught trophy, right? Because over the years, it has turned into the highest scoring defenseman in the NHL. And you have to you have to hit certain offensive benchmarks to be considered, which I, I, I both I both understand it because that is part of the game, but I also don't love it because I think the weighting has gotten off, in my opinion. Like, yes, to be the game's preeminent defenseman, you probably need to contribute offensively, but I don't think that that should be your unless you are just, you know, otherworldly, I don't think that should be your primary focus, right? And I think the ratio is off. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Norris in the context of kind of what we've been discussing, because another great example of if peop, if hockey was more receptive to analytics and we didn't have this ridiculous like crew of people that feel the need to sort of demonize them or make analytics feel like they're not part of understanding this game, well, then you probably wouldn't have uh, a sort of the players that sometimes win and the players that sometimes don't get nominated to begin with. Because Sean Shapiro even kind of wrote the other day uh, at uh, Shap Shots about um, sort of the Norse process, uh, you know, how people kind of vote and plus minus is included into that. 
Great example yeah. of like a dumb stat just completely ruining what you're trying to figure out in the first place. And there's history too. It's the, it's the same thing with the Selkie in my opinion. And in a lot of ways – you have to have your first. You have to have your first Norris quality season before you can have your first Norris quality season. If that you, you know what I mean, like you have to you have to prove that you're playing at that level, and then you get it. Versus it's it's and maybe we're changing a little bit. Macar won one earlier. Maybe we're starting to see some some shifting in the way that we think. But for the longest time. It it was almost a it turning into like a career achievement award. It's like okay, now that you've done this for a couple of years, we're gonna find out whatever we need. You know, we're gonna do whatever we need to do to award it to you this season. Not necessarily because this season right now you're that guy, but you've been that guy for long enough that we kind of need to say something about it. And that um, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, the whole like perception, like first the perception. Then the reality, even if sort of the reality is long since passed, which I think Hedman's kind of win was a good example of. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think that's why, you know, sort of why analytics need to be such a bigger. And again, I know it keeps sounding like I keep sounding like, oh, you know, like I clearly have an agenda, which, yes, I do. So does everybody else. But it's not just that, like, I think analytics need you're to be in the you're in the bag for big plus minus. <laughs> it's It's not just that, like, I think writers need to do better about it but that like hockey needs to be better about including them because i think if writers if if fans want anything they want context yes. and within that context is a conversation and there are a few better tools however you use them I'm not saying you have to use one versus the other however you use them there are a few better tools than the information that you have available to you at your fingertips and it's insane to me that you wouldn't be taking advantage of that and trying to learn more and therefore trying to give fans more information and a better context for for these discussions. I, I love that. And the best example that I'll give and then we'll get into some closing thoughts is the best example I'll give as my personal advice to, you know, newcomers, hockey fans, people that are trying to incorporate more analytics when one of your favorite players is either struggling to score goals or scoring a ton of goals. Always take take one quick look at their shooting percentage compared to their historic shooting percentage. That's that's to me, you know, if if ever you want to validate the whole, oh, so-and-so is just, you know, Sagan's hitting a bunch of posts, so-and-so is just in a slump, they're going to break out, right? If if you ever want to get a sense of how real what you're seeing is, I I always, that's one of the, that's one of the ways that I've kind of adjusted my process over the years. I, I will always take a look, okay, what's he shooting this season and what's his career number? Because those two things should be close together. That's just the way that hockey apparently works and smarter people than I have figured that out. So one of the biggest warning signs, right? If a guy has big goals, but a, you know, balloon shooting percentage, you worry. And if a guy has no goals and a terrible shooting percentage, you should be encouraged, right? They'll probably find their way out of it at some point. And that's exactly why Jamie Ben is not going to uh, score 70 plus points this year. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but he'll still do okay. So give me, we'll, we'll close here. I, I like that you brought up the Jamie Ben. What are some other, uh, and, and we'll, we'll timestamp these and people can make fun of us later for being wrong. It'll be fantastic. What are some things, some some thoughts that you have perspective? You give me give me one or two, you know, predictive statements about the Dallas Stars based on on you know what you've what you've learned so far. So like about the about what like where they're going to place the, the team, the players, the, the like the the you know the Jamie Ben stat right. He's he is probably last season he he 
Not saying he didn't play well. He played very well. But in terms of a in, in terms of a raw production, right? Jamie Ben probably outproduced himself a little bit last season, and we should expect to see again. He won't be bad, but we should expect to see scoring regression from him this year. What are some other? You know, give me another couple predictions uh, along those lines. I think so. So for like, I would say like Wyatt Johnston, just because this is kind of the one fresh off my mind. Wyatt Johnston scores fifty nine points, uh, which would be only what five points above the average in the cohort that I had him in based on his goals above replacement numbers for a 19 year old. So 59 points would be a huge boost. Um, he's a player that also just looks like, I mean, he, he looks leaner, faster, meaner, you know, he just, he looks completely confident. There and, was a, it was in the second game, second period, second game. I forget who he hit, but there was a play in the offensive zone in the slot where he went shoulder to shoulder with a defenseman and the defenseman bounced off of him. And that to me, that's something I talk about watching into it. That's something I'm looking at because the idea of like, you know, adult strength, adult body versus, you know, teenage strength, teenage, that's a very real thing. And he is starting that transition and it is going to pay dividends in his game. No. Yeah. And, and, and I think the other thing too, is that, and by the way, like Vegas has big defenders. So that's all the more impressive. Um, and uh, like he kind of like, it's funny because I think when, when everybody thinks about Johnston as kind of like a toolsy center before he entered the lineup, um, they didn't really think of him as like a, a pure goal scorer. And it looks like he's turning into, he's crystallizing that goal scoring prowess as he, which is not to say that he's going backwards in his development, just that I think he's kind of developing into a more specialized role, which I think is awesome. And the other one I would just kind of mention real quick is I think Sagan top 60 plus points um, just because the second power play unit, especially without Sutter, is going to be more productive. And and I think Sagan is just due for regression. Like he's a guy that, yeah, he hasn't looked good these first two games, but as always, he's trying. And I think his effort level is going to get rewarded by the hockey gods for a change. They They are fickle. But it would be nice. This has been this has been fantastic. Um, I'm I'm really glad you decided. Any any other closing thoughts? Anything else you want to sneak in before we we say our sign offs and, and move on with our afternoons? Uh, no, no. I, I'm just uh, I'm glad I'm I'm happy to do this because I, I think it's kind of the kind of discussion that that hockey should be having and that hockey writers should be uh, doing a better job of, <laughs> myself included, by the way. Um, but um, yeah, nothing else, man. Perfect. Well, thanks again for doing this. Uh, listeners, thanks for listening. KT, thanks for stitching it together. We will, uh, I'm, I'm saying this here to obligate you, but uh, David, hopefully we'll have you on the podcast a couple of times over the course of the season. We'd love to get your thoughts. And then as well, tell the people where, you know, I mentioned Dallas Magazine, where can we find your stuff? Because it is excellent. And if you're interested enough to be still listening at this point in the podcast and you're not reading David, then then you're crazy and go read him right now. That's <laughs> consider it, consider it stargazing homework. So where, where can we find uh, so D Magazine is, is still very much my home. Um, I, I do kind of sort of daily-ish content at the Star Stack, uh, my, my personal sub-stack. And yes, I'm still going to be contributing to Defending Big D when it comes to prospects because look out for Aaron Minishin and Artem Martino. Those are two guys that we did not see at Traverse City. We should have because they're pretty good. Nice. Love it. Love it. We'll have to, you and you and Derek should talk futures. Well, again, thank you. Thank you for doing this. We'll go ahead and sign off and, and looking forward to game three tonight. Maybe they will, uh, they'll get it done in regulation. Thank you. Ah, this is awesome. Thank you for doing this, David.